Hello, and welcome back to episode 2 of The Usual Spot, your favorite spot for current events and trends in the world of gaming. Now, I'm Zach, and today we're going to be talking about some pretty big stuff that happened this last week, which includes, specifically, the trailer for the new Resident Evil movie, called Welcome to Raccoon City, came out. The movie comes out on November 24th, and it shows a lot of nostalgic stuff, and like callbacks to the original games, which I think is a good sign. But it's also a little bit alarming in some ways, and I'll get into that. So, I mean, the plot of the movie revolves around fan-favorite characters from the original games, like Leon, Claire, and Chris, revealing the truth about the Umbrella Corporation. So, that's pretty on par with what the original games is like. You know, they go in and they find out about all of this stuff that Umbrella is doing, and they have to survive, and they're being hunted down by all of the monsters that they created and stuff like this. Like, that's just plain old Resident Evil. You know what you're getting with that. Problem with the idea, though, is that anybody who's already played the games already knows what Umbrella does. They already know what the big plot twist reveal is going to be at the end of the movie. So you can't rely on that for the storyline when people already know Umbrella is a shady company. However, this is also something that's established in the games for straight away, too. It's not exactly a secret that Umbrella is shady from the get-go, even in the original Resident Evil game. I don't know if that's necessarily enough to write this film off entirely. But the problem that I saw with the trailer mostly is that it has a ton of callbacks to the originals. Like nostalgic, fan service baiting kind of things. Not that that's a bad thing necessarily, but it does show what their intentions are, I think, a lot more than anything else might. So straight away you see some obvious references like the Spencer Mansion the Raccoon Police Department, you have a Leon holding the rocket launcher, and you have the itchy tasty joke that's always been made with the zombie writing it in blood on the wall, and then you have the classic scene of the zombie like looking back toward the camera just like he does in the original game. So you have a lot of callbacks to that kind of stuff, and it's clearly trying to bait the fan service, right? You're trying to get those nostalgic fans of the series to come and say, wow, this is cool, look at all the stuff they're adding from the old games, and that's not inherently a bad thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with paying homage to the old series, but it's just that, like, it shows to me that they are almost relying on that for ticket sales, which means that they showed very little of the actual plot in the trailer. I mean, we know what we're getting into. It's a Resident Evil movie. I don't think they really even need to sell us on what the concept's going to be, but it would still be nice to see some more original elements instead of just letting it solely be nostalgic from the original games. However, I will say it's probably still a better approach than the original Resident Evil movies we got from Paul W.S. Anderson, but it does sacrifice any real narrative drive unless it strays entirely away from the game's established canon which is exactly what the original movies did, and we don't want that again. So there's this weird issue with balancing when it comes to original elements and staying true to the original games. And I think that's kind of where the issue lies with this, is that it almost feels like they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. If they abandon the old game's canon, then they're going to alienate fans who were hoping to see their favorite game adapted. And if they follow it to the T, they risk getting things wrong or leaving things out that fans were hoping to see or just entirely missing the point of the series in general. I don't envy that situation and I think this is why video game movies in general tend to fail is because they don't know which direction to go. You can either abandon the original story and come up with something new or you can adapt the original story without any of the appeal that the game has as a video game and either way 
it feels like you're making an inferior product to the original and it just feels like a bad commercial for the game you're based on so what do they need to do how can they get this right because i really want this movie to be good so i have some ideas on how they might actually be able to pull it off or how video game adaptations in general could be done better all in all they already face an uphill battle considering games are much longer than movies most of the time they sometimes come in at like 20 to 30 hours depending on what type of game you're playing so that makes it hard for a movie to tell the same long story in like a tenth of the time so that's an issue i do think that resident evil is a better choice because those games can be beaten in just a few hours in fact some of the speed runs for the earlier games are like under an hour even that's a little extreme obviously but the games are not nearly as long as most others which i think does make it a better candidate for an adaptation the other issue though is that the interactive elements with the games is what the driving focus of the games usually tend to be. Meaning, you have some exceptions to this, obviously, but a lot of modern games feature more campy, over-the-top storylines or tropes or cliched issues with plots that they're really just backdrops for the gameplay to take the center stage. So you have a story as an excuse to get to the next boss fight, and you fight the boss to get to the next cutscene to fight the next boss. That's how games go. That's just general game design. So many adaptations, like, they choose games where the story is the main backdrop, and that's fine, but the issue with that is that the story in those games tends to be fairly bare bones on the surface because the interactive elements in between the story sections fill in the blanks for the player to feel engaged in the story. When you are controlling the character in the story, you feel a lot more attached to them. And so things that happen to them have a lot more impact than when they're just told to you on screen. Because let's be honest, the story's probably not as interesting as we think it is in most modern games. But we forgive that because they're fun to play and because we sympathize with the characters because we control them. Narrative-driven games are already divisive, since a lot of fans prefer gameplay over story. That alone shows that we want to play a fun game first, and then we want to be told a story. The game should always be fun to play before the story is thrown into the limelight, I guess. Not that the story shouldn't be good, obviously, it's fair to expect, you know, well-thought-out stories in modern games today, but it shouldn't necessarily be the main focus all the time. And as an art form, they rely on that synchronicity of gameplay and story to succeed at their job. Adapting it to film pretty much removes half of that entirely. It removes half of the reason why people enjoy playing video games. So without a proper substitute, you're not going to be able to pull that off. I think the best example of this is the Assassin's Creed movie. The story and the historical settings visited in that game series is basically just a backdrop for the player to run around and climb on buildings and explore the old historical landmarks that you're being shown in the games and the movie misses this completely the exploration is entirely removed you're shown the time period which is the spanish inquisition but it misses out on the exploration aspect or the personal connection that you get you know when you get to run around and explore the world yourself because the characters barely do that you already have this uphill battle and i think there are some ways it could be addressed though I think the first thing that's important to remember when you're adapting a video game into a movie is don't do anything overly ambitious. Don't even really try to adapt anything at all. Best examples of video game movies, in my opinion, 
take pre-existing characters and put them into new situations in other worlds, namely the real world. This gives the writers room to be creative and tell a fun, light-hearted story without worrying about disappointing fans who wanted a true adaptation of the original game. The best examples of this, in my opinion, are Sonic the Hedgehog from 2019 and Detective Pikachu. Now, these aren't necessarily great movies by any means, especially Sonic, but you still have this element of, like, originality when it comes to... They didn't have this long-standing established canon to worry about adapting. All they had to do was get the character right. You know, you have to get Sonic right. He should be funny, quick-witted, run really fast, make dumb jokes... And as long as you can nail those aspects, you can pretty much put him in any situation and it'll work. Because he's already a goofy, campy, over-the-top character, that having a goofy, campy, over-the-top storyline is fine. That's all you need to do. And I think they pulled it off. It's a kid's movie, it's nothing special, it's not going to win any Oscars, but it did the job fine, and I think it was a perfect adaptation of that character into a modern film setting. The issue with this is that the Resident Evil movies by Paul W.S. Anderson, you know the ones, the really bad ones with Mila Jovovich, they had tried to do something similar by establishing a separate universe from the games entirely, but the problem with that is that it shifted away from the franchise tonally. Now, it's fine to take an, to do an original take on something that already exists, but you should still address what made the original successful. And these series of films pretty much abandons that entirely. There's no really horror elements in them. It's solely action-based. You have these over-the-top, overly edited action scenes, like something out of The Matrix, basically. And it just completely ignores the horror roots that made fans like the original games. And I think that's where those films fell flat. It's It, it, it just, you know, alienated a lot of fans in the sense that Especially since they had these long-time fan-favorite characters show up, like Leon and Claire and Jill and Chris, and they all killed them off-screen. You killed off Leon Kennedy in some off-screen fight with some unnamed enemy and expected people to just be okay with that? Like, that's just... You just you just don't do that. That's just not, that's just not a good way to... To go about writing a story with long-time established characters that people are going to expect to see fully fleshed out. And that was the issue, is that Alice, played by Mila Jovovich in the movies, took the limelight instead of these characters who were the main characters in the games that they're based on. So I think for a film adaptation to really work, you need time to let those characters be fleshed out just like they are in the games. And I don't think a film gives you enough time to do that. A TV series might work better. And here's why. You have a lot more time to develop stories that are often already told over dozens of hours. And you can tell it in short bursts over several episodes and have, you know, paced in a similar way to the, the original game. So you can have this, like, pyramid-based story structure in every single episode. It's much like how the games are. You got a boss fight, you get a cutscene, it leads you to the next cutscene, which leads you to the next boss fight, and that's how the story progresses. You can have that in a TV show. You can have an action scene, followed by some story, followed by a resolution of that plot beat into the next one where the episode ends, the next episode then picks up on the next one. 
that's just how this works. And that is how the story is generally presented in a game. And that should be how it is in the movies as well if it's going to succeed. But a film doesn't allow for the amount of time you need to make that work. And a TV series does. The pacing will just be more consistent in general. It would let the action and the characters take the center stage instead of letting the plot be the main focus. I mean, it'll always be the main focus, but it won't be the only driving force for why the thing exists. That's what's most important. Have the characters over the plot rather than vice versa, which the films tend to rely on. If you have a bad plot and bad characters in a movie, you usually have a bad movie. But if you have good characters in a bad plot, you can still salvage it if the characters are likable enough. I mean, this is what happened with the Sonic movie, for instance. Sonic as a character is really funny, he's really quirky, he's fun to watch on screen. The plot doesn't even matter anymore. I don't care. I don't care what happens in the movie. As long as he's in it and he's being funny and it's making me laugh, I'm satisfied. So, in that sense, it can be done. But you, if you're going to adapt something that has years and years of established storylines... You need to make sure you have enough time to actually replicate that properly. That's really all I have to say on this topic. Video game movies in general, we know, not good most of the time. But I don't think that has to always be the case. I think they can be done, and I really want Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City to be good. I want to see it. November 24th this year, it comes out. I'll be there. And maybe there's a review in the works. Who knows? You'll hear my thoughts about it, though. And I would love to hear yours. You can follow me on Twitter at Sakar the Great. I'll plug that later. But in general, that's not the only thing I wanted to talk about today. There's another big thing that happened this week, and it involves Super Smash Bros. Ultimate's final fighter in the DLC Fighter Pass. We all know who it is. You all saw the reveal, I assume. And oh my god, I am absolutely thrilled. I can't be I can't lie. I know there's a lot of people out there that are mad right now, but there's also a lot of people like me that are exact, that are just ecstatic over this. We finally got Sora. Our boy made it in. And oh my god, when I say I cried during a reveal trailer, I'm only exaggerating a little bit. Because holy shit, I've been waiting for this for so long. And I thought it would never happen. So much to the point that I made a bet with my friend. And I said, if Sora ever gets into Smash, I will personally go out and buy the game. I will play it. I will practice with 1v1 matches online, and I will actually try and get good at it. I'll enter tournaments, I'll do all of the shit to like just become like a full-time Smash player. <laughs> because I was so sure he would never get in, that I didn't think I'd ever have to live up to that. But here we are. Now, the reason I'm so excited, I mean, obviously I've been a Kingdom Hearts fan basically my whole life. I named this podcast after it. But... It's also just because he genuinely just looks so fun to play. Like, I can't stress that enough. His moveset looks just like it does in the original Kingdom Hearts. And I know that was probably on purpose, but he's very floaty. You know, he jumps around, he can stay in the air, and he can cancel combos into magic and with finishers. And I think that's awesome. That's exactly what he needed. It's a perfect callback to the original game. He can do all of these aerial combos. He can do the three. He has the three hit combo with the keyblade. And just, it's just, it's just so perfect. It's exactly what you want. Like, it looks like it'll feel like you're playing a 2D version of the original Kingdom Hearts. And that is amazing to me. For the most part, he looks really fun. And I'm excited for that. Design wise, too. I mean, they used his KH1 model, which is perfect. I mean, that's probably his most recognizable one. I expected that they were going to go with Kingdom Hearts 3 
for his model and for most of his moveset. So I was a little surprised that they went with his model from the original, but they do have his KH3 scan as an alt, which is kind of what leads me into my only real complaint. The alt skins are a little strange when they use his KH1 model because none of the alt skins they provide were worn by that version of Sora. So they're all adding skins from KH2 and 3 in which he is taller has a more angular face, and is just generally more mature-looking. And because of that, his outfit was designed to complement that. And so when you have this softer, younger, shorter version of Sora, it just looks strange. But I would prefer that than the alternative, considering we know how Sora looks when he's wearing his KH1 clothes with his KH2 model. So it's not really that big of a deal, and I don't have a ton of room to complain, because this is already a miracle that this happened to begin with. So I don't really want to say too much, and I know this is a little bit of a nitpick, but mostly my thing was that they included Valor form, which doesn't make a ton of sense considering in Kingdom Hearts 2, Valor form is the first it's the first form you unlock, it's the first drive form you unlock in the game, and you get two Keyblades when you equip it. When you switch into Valor form, you can dual wield Keyblades, and it essentially lets you attack twice as fast. That sounds like a great idea. And it is. It's incredibly fun in the game, but you don't get that in Smash Bros. You just have the Valor Form skin on, but you're still only wielding the Kingdom Key. And, I mean, that's fine. I get it. They're not going to give you a second Keyblade just for an alt skin. So I kind of just wish they didn't include Valor Form at all. They already have a couple of the other forms from Kingdom Hearts 2. So I really wish they would have included Rage Form or Anti Form instead. I think that would have made a much cooler alt skin. However, we did get Timeless River, which surprised me. And that one I'm actually excited about. It's a very unique look, and it's from one of my favorite worlds in the whole series. So, you know, I'm not that mad. It's a really minor nitpick. I'm not really going to complain about it. I probably won't use the Valley Form skin too much, but who knows? We'll see. It looks good, at least. They also included his Dream Drop Distance alt, which, again, is a little strange, considering that outfit is only marginally different from his original model anyway. But, in essence, that actually makes it better, because that means that it's, you know... He actually looks like he fits in it properly compared to the others. But again, I digress. Not a big deal. I'm still hyped as fuck. I do think it was funny that there's like pretty much no Disney elements aside from the Mickey Mouse keychain on the Kingdom Key. I have a feeling that was a caveat that Disney gave them when they allowed them to use Sora in the game. They probably said, all right, but you're not getting Donald the Goofy. You're not getting Mickey Mouse. You're going to have to pay us way more money if you want that. So... (laughs) <laughs> I did think it was funny that on the Station of Awakening and the Dive to the Heart map, which, by the way, they added Hollow Bastion as a map, which is super cool. It plays the music in the background. They got a bunch of music from the games. They even have an original version of Sora's theme song that was done by Yoko Shimomura herself. So that's really cool. They're really, you know, tapping into what makes this series so beloved. But anyway, they have the Station of Awakening that shows up on the Dive to the Heart section of the Hollow Bastion map. And normally Donald and Goofy show up on Sora's Station of Awakening, but it's not there. It's replaced, it's just Riku and Kairi, which are normally there as well, but then they replace Donald and Goofy with a raft and a Paupu fruit, which both make sense. I mean, those both represent Riku and Kairi, respectively, but they're, it's it's just funny. It's just just a little uncanny to just see them absent from all of the things they're normally included on. But I understand it. I'm not going to complain. The fact that they got him at all, I'm incredibly grateful. I Like, seriously. I can't imagine the hurdles they had to jump through to get 
to get this made and to get this in the game. It's been like, what, six years coming now since they opened the polls back in 2015 for Smash 4. So I'm very excited to play. I'm not just playing because I lost a bet. I actually do really want to play the game now uh, because they added him. And I know that seems like a dumb reason, but I don't care. I'm excited to get back into it. Uh, I'm going to be practicing playing some 1v1s. And that being said, if you guys would like to challenge me in Smash Bros., I would love to. You can hit me up on Twitter at Zakar the Great. That's Z-A-K-A-R the Great, all one word. And you can challenge me. We can play some Smash together sometime if you like. Or, you know, you can just tell me about how you feel about the Resident Evil movie coming up. Or some of the other adaptations that you've seen that are coming out recently. Or old ones that you like or don't like. Either way. Or just in general, if you just want to talk about video games, tell me what you're excited about. Tell me what's coming out soon that you're looking forward to or what you've been playing. I'd love to hear from you. And with that, it's about all I had to say for today. I don't want this to go on too long as much as I could talk about Kingdom Hearts for hours. I will refrain. So I hope you guys have a great week, and I will see you in the next episode.